Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you all. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn to John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. So today we're going to be starting a a new series. And the title of today's sermon is the title of the series we're going to be getting into. As we prepare for Easter, uh, the title of the series is Come and See. And, and you're going to understand why, because this Easter, my challenge to us as a church is as we pray and as we seek to invite people and share with people is that we want them to come and see Jesus, to come and see the risen Savior. Before we keep going, I want to, because this is new, uh, any children that are elementary school age or younger can go with Emily and Evan if they want to, to Children's Church. Uh, they're right at the back of the sanctuary. So if they want to go to Children's Church, they can go with Emily and Evan and go have some fun during our sermon. So John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51, come and see. And so we're going to look today at this passage where we have um, the calling of some of the first disciples, not the very first ones, at least recorded in John. But so just to give you what's happened in John to this point, we have that wonderful introduction in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and all of that leading up to talking about John the Baptist and where he's coming and where he is uh, declaring that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the one that he's been preparing people for. People believe because of John's testimony about Jesus. They begin to follow him, and Jesus begins to call some of his disciples to follow him. And that's where we're at. We're picking up where Jesus is calling some of his disciples to follow him. So starting in verse 43, as Jesus has traveled to Galilee, let's begin there. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip and found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you for this time that we can come together and look at your, your word. We can look at the account of Jesus and, and calling these disciples and, and what it looks like for them and how we can learn from that in our lives and how we can apply that to our lives and how we can seek after you, seek to know you, seek to have a relationship with you and how we can call others to come and see you as well. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing that we see in this passage is Jesus' call to Philip to follow me. Now, when we look at the Gospels, it's very important to understand that the Gospels tell us what we need to know, but that doesn't mean that we're learning and seeing absolutely everything that happened, right? Within 
20, 30 pages in, in, in several, 15 to 20-something to chapters, depending on which gospel you're reading, we're getting the entire life and ministry of Jesus. And we, we actually know at the end of one of them, it says, if all of the things that he said and did were written, I don't suppose all of the books in the world could contain it. So we know there are things that happened in the life and ministry of Jesus that we don't have recorded. And this is actually an example that we see here because Philip becomes convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. The first thing we see is Jesus' call to follow me. So how did this process play out? For some reason, when Jesus says, follow me, Philip believes him and he follows him. He's convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. How did this process play out? Where did he hear this from? Where did he get this idea? Why did he believe and follow him when Jesus said to follow me? So we see here some, some, some context. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Right before this passage, we see that Andrew was one of the people that heard from John the Baptist testimony that here comes the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. And he goes and gets his brother Simon, who Jesus names Peter, and they're following Jesus. So Philip is from the same city as Andrew and Peter. So he hears them talk about Jesus. Most likely, we don't see this recorded exactly, but we see this example of Jesus or of Jesus calling Andrew and and Peter. And then from that, Peter, Philip's from the same place they follow him. Now I want to clarify for a moment the gospel's account of Peter's call. All right, so we see here in this in John, just before this, that Andrew went and got Peter and they followed Jesus. Well, do we know of a different story of how Peter followed Jesus? They were fishing in the boat, and Jesus came to him and said, follow me, I'll make you fish for fishers of men. And they left their boats and followed Jesus. Is this a contradiction? Some people would say this is a contradiction, that, that one says this, one says the other. Is this a contradiction? I want to give you an example. So my, my, one of my, be, my best friends, Caleb, um, if you've never heard me tell about Caleb, you've missed a lot of really interesting stories from my childhood. Um, but Caleb, this weekend, he's, a, he's now a youth pastor, and he decided for some reason, that he was going to do a 30-hour lock-in that concluded with them going to Winter Jam. So they have a lock-in all night long, do stuff all day, and then they go to Winter Jam. And if any of the youth are like, that sounds like fun, no. <laughs> do you, I'm going to read to you the messages that Caleb sent last night. I'm in the last hour of a 30-hour youth lock-in. We're at Winter Jam. And I'm not in my body. I'm not sure if I'm just tired or teetering on the edge of death. So that's how he's feeling <laughs> right now. I don't know how he's feeling right now. but um. So here's the question. Some of these youth that went to this lock-in, somebody might ask him, what would you do this weekend? I went to a lock-in. Oh, that sounds like fun. And somebody else might ask a different youth, well, what would you do this weekend? I went to Winter Jam. Was, one, was, was that contradicting itself? No, it was different parts of the same story. So when Jesus calls Peter on the boat and says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, perhaps that wasn't the first time he'd heard about Jesus. Or perhaps we don't know the order of events, but they're, same, they're parts of the same story. And so it appears that from Andrew and Peter's conversion and conviction that Jesus is the Messiah, Philip has heard about these things that are happening. Perhaps he even interacts with Jesus and becomes convinced he is the Messiah. But we know that, that when Jesus says to Philip, follow me, that he responds, that he believes he is the Messiah. Was this the first time he heard of Jesus? I doubt it. Was this the first conversation he had with him? Maybe. Was there more said? Quite possibly. 
Those things are not important. What is important is that Philip becomes convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, someone that he is going to follow with his life. And as he later said to Nathanael, the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. This is the essential question that you must answer in your life. Who is Jesus? When you encounter Jesus, when people tell you about Jesus, the answer to that question is the most important answer you will find. Who is Jesus? Are the claims that are made about Jesus true? Because this is a life-changing interaction. This is a paradigm shift. Your life's going this way. You encounter Jesus. You're convinced he is the Messiah, and your life should change. Things should be completely different from then on out. Any time in your life you discover something you like or you meet someone interesting, you don't leave that interaction and never think about it again. I want you to imagine how absurd these statements would be. That is the best meal I've ever eaten. I don't think I'm ever going to go there again. That was the best date I've ever been on. I don't think I'm ever going to see them again. When things happen that are extremely good and that are extremely transformative in our life, it changes our life. Think about the moment you met the person you married. The the day you married them, the rest of your life is different because of that interaction. Think about the moment you had children. Your life is different because of that interaction, because of that event in your life. And so the, the moment that he meets Jesus says, this is the person that Moses and the prophets are talking about. This is the Messiah How much more insane would it be for us to say, Jesus is the Son of God. He took my sin and my shame so that I wouldn't have to face punishment, but instead might have eternal life. I don't think I'm going to do anything about it. I think I'm going to live my life completely normally. I don't think I'm going to change a single thing. It doesn't make sense. That's not how life works. You can't truly encounter Jesus and walk away the same. Too often people treat Jesus like insurance. You know, I've met with insurance agents before. I don't walk away from those encounters radically changed. I leave thinking, man, it sure is nice that if something goes wrong, I'm covered. That's what insurance does, right? Man, I I met with this guy. He was really nice. He got me a good rate. If anything happens to my house, anything happens to my car, I'm covered. That's good. How many people treat their interactions with Jesus the same way? They think, man, you know, it sure is nice that I can sin and I can live my life, and at the end of it, at some point, when I have to face judgment, I'm covered. I got that Jesus insurance. No, that is not what the gospel says. If we're going to follow this analogy in, in this situation, your house is already burned down. You sit in a pile of ashes because of your sin. You are condemned already because of your sin. There is nothing you can do to fix it. You are in a desperate state because of your sin. You have no way to rebuild it, no way to to shelter yourself. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love that he has for us, made a way to rescue you from the damage that you've done to yourself. He saved you from the destruction that you were already living in and given you a new life. He's given you a new dwelling place so that you, can, that, that you have done nothing to earn or nothing to deserve. Given you a new life. And still too many people treat Jesus like insurance. They'd rather live in the midst of their burned down house in their sin 
than in the newness of life, in the new dwelling place that Christ provides. In Sunday school, we, we watched a video that, that talked about this. It talked about how, how we can deal with guilt from past sins, and, and, but how we should go and sin no more. And, and there was the comment made, it's like if God rescued you from a sewer, but you decide to jump back in and swim in it. And, and it made a couple of the youth laugh. And that's the response it should have because it's so silly to think that Jesus saves us from our sin, but it doesn't change our life. It doesn't transform us. It doesn't impact our life at all. And I want to challenge you that if you have thought about your relationship with Christ like this, you need to consider whether you have truly encountered him and know him. If, if your life hasn't been changed by the fact that you realize that Jesus is the Son of God, you need to, to consider whether you've truly encountered him at all. Jesus radically alters and transforms the life of those he meets one way or another. We see the disciples who repent and follow him, and then we see the Pharisees who harden their hearts and become more opposed to him throughout his ministry. You see Philip, Andrew, Peter, Nathaniel, as we get to, they follow him. They see him for who he is. And the Pharisees encounter the same person that's showing the same things. They see him do miracles. They see him teach. They can't stand before him in their own wisdom and power. But when they walk away, they want to kill him. Have you ever seen how, how people are very adverse to the gospel? They come against it and, and they, they, are, they greatly dislike hearing the gospel presented. It's because either you respond in repentance or you become more opposed to it. Those are the only responses that you can have. Sometimes it's a slower process. Sometimes you might, I want to hear more about that. Or sometimes it's like, I don't really like that. But eventually you're moving toward God or away from him. You're not going to stay neutral in response to who Jesus is. And so what do we see? He becomes convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. It changes his life. And then he does what? He goes and he tells his brother. He goes and he tells his brother what he's found. I, I should correct myself. I don't think Nathaniel is actually his brother. He goes and tells. I got that confused because Simon and, and Andrew are brothers. But he goes and tells Nathaniel about what he's found. He goes and tells this person he's close to what he's found. Something so wonderful and so good must be shared. Here's what I want you to understand. We share everything these days. We share everything. A quick scroll on Facebook, and you're going to see tons of things being shared with the world, or at least with those that you're close to. And just a cursory scroll of my, uh, my Facebook page. Look at my kids playing sports. Look at my new haircut. Look at this food that I just ate. Look at my dog. Look at me and how good I look today. We share these things. And maybe you don't caption it that way, but that's what you're saying. Look at this. Look at this thing that I like. Look at this thing I don't like. How much more should we share about Jesus? How much more should we share with those people we care about, about Jesus? I have found the Messiah, the Son of God, who takes away the sins of the world. I have found the one who's forgiven me, who loves me. He loves you. He'll take your sins. He's paid for your sins. This is what Philip is saying to Nathaniel. The Messiah is Jesus of Nazareth. And how does Philip respond to this great news? Can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, I think... I like to think that that was said in the same way that you're talking to somebody. And as I've heard 
kind of from people in Evansville. I'm, I'm learning how things work where maybe you live on the west side and you meet somebody, oh, you're from Newburgh. Is anything good come from Newburgh? That's kind of the atmosphere I've heard, right? I, I kind of think that's a little bit of what Nathaniel's saying. He's like, Nazareth, huh? Does anything good come from Nazareth? What does Philip say to Nathaniel? Come and see. Because when you share Jesus, it's not always going to be a ready, ready to go answer. They're not always going to be like, absolutely, I'm going to take you at your word. What are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. I'm a sinner. What do you mean I'm a sinner? I think I live a good life. Who's this Jesus? What, why should I trust the Bible? Why should I believe what you're saying? The answer we have is to come and see. So first we have to see. We have to have a relationship with Christ. That relationship should transform our lives, and we should talk to others about what we've seen and heard. And when they respond with skepticism, even if they respond with interest, come and see is the response that we have to anyone who is doubts Jesus or who wants to know more about Jesus. Come and see. So Nathaniel goes to Jesus. Nathaniel goes to Jesus. People are often more willing to consider what you say than you'd think. I think a lot of times we get in our head, and I think it's the adversary seeking to keep us from talking about Jesus, that people don't want to hear about it. The people aren't willing to consider faith in Christ. That's what you saw in the video. People think about Portland, this whole idea of keep Portland weird. They don't want people to go and to share the gospel. They're interested. They don't know anything about it. They want to know, what do you, what do you mean you believe that this man that lived 2,000 years ago was the son of God who died on the cross for my sins? That's an interesting story. I'd like to hear about it at least. But sometimes we don't give people the chance to hear about it. We don't give them a chance to come and see because we don't share it like we should. And I think people are particularly willing to come and see. They're particularly willing to hear you if you have a track record with them. If you have a relationship with them, they know that you care about them. So Philip comes and tells Nathaniel, hey, come and see the Messiah. I got to tell you, Jesus of Nazareth, he's the Messiah, the Son of God. What are you talking about? Come and see. Well, I'll go with you. I think you're crazy, but I know you. I know you care about me. I know we have this relationship, so I'm at least going to give you a chance. I'm at least going to come and see what you're talking about. We've been talking on Wednesday nights, this, this kind of circle of how you should share your faith, and it's this idea of prayer, care, and share. So first you pray for people. You pray that you'll have opportunities to share the gospel. Then you care about people. You, you build a relationship with them. You invest in their lives, and then you're able to then accurately share with them the hope that you have. You are able to share with them the truth about who God is. And you've maybe heard this saying before. It was, it was a very impactful statement when I first heard it as a youth at Mission Fuge, that people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. So if you want to show people who Jesus is, what did Jesus often do? Healed people, cared for people, and then led them to the truth at the same time. It's not one or the other, both things leading them to the truth. And so as he comes to them, what what becomes evident? Here's the deal. We don't have to promote Jesus. We don't have to dress him up. We don't have to make him look any more spectacular than he is. He is God. We don't have to promote God. We don't have to make him appeal to people. He is God. We don't have to do anything special for that. So when he says, hey, just come and see. Come and see him. You don't have, don't, didn't have to say anything else. He comes, and Jesus proves that he is the Son of God. Behold, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. How do you know who I am? He just thinks he's probably gassing him up. Oh, you look really good today. Oh, I really like that out. That's, that, that's what we might be thinking. That's what he might. Oh, he's, he has no deceit in him. You don't know who I am. 
How do you know me? Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So here's something we see that oftentimes we, we don't see as much today. This direct interaction with Jesus where there's miraculous things happening. Because when Philip, when Nathaniel realizes that Jesus has an awareness of who he is beyond what is normal, it has a great impression on him. And so it's easy to look and say, well, we don't have that. We can't take people physically to see Jesus. We can't take them there to see him perform miracles. The same spirit that was at work in Christ is the same spirit that lives within us. We have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. So we see him respond to this. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. An encounter with God God is not mundane, but shocking and life-changing. So we see the process here of how we lead people to Jesus. Bring people to Jesus. How do we do this? How do we bring people to Jesus? And we've been talking extensively this year about what our focus is, is to have gospel conversations and how to share our faith. That is what all Christians should do, to talk about what God has done in their life. Philip went to Nathaniel and said, I'm convinced of this. And then he led him to Jesus. So we are called to share about what we have seen in her. That is the best way you can lead people to Jesus, is to tell them the evidence that happened in your life. What convinced you? Why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you say that Jesus is the Son of God? What evidence do you have? That answer is the best answer you can give to a person you care about that wants to know. Why would your friend, relative, care more about what a pastor they don't know has to say than what you, the person that they love and care about, has to say about why you trust in Jesus? So that's the best way. That's why I want you to have gospel conversations. That's why I want you to go and share about the reason for the hope that you have. Because people can hear it. Hopefully, they can see it in your life. They can see the transformation you've had in your life. They can see the way you're different from those around you. But I will tell you this. The second way that you can bring people is to invite them to church. And I think that the church at some point has done a a great disservice. Now, the church overall, throughout a long period of, of time and in, in not so recent history of the church in America in particular, inviting people to church was viewed as evangelism. We need to reach our community. How do we do that? Go invite people to church. What happens then is you have to then water down the services and not lead people as deeper, as deep in their faith that are believers, because it has to be approachable for people that are lost. But I'll tell you what, if, if you haven't got to a place where you can share your faith, invite people to church. It's better than doing nothing. It is better than doing nothing to invite people to church. Let them see that Jesus is the Son of God. So you talk to them about it. Let them see it. How do they see it? Through the evidence that exists in Scripture and through the evidence that's available in your life. Here's the deal. Like I said, we don't have to dress up God. We trust that God convicts. When we read Scripture... We trust that God will use it to convict. There are ways to give defenses for why the Bible is trustworthy. There are, there, there are apologetics, but we also trust that God will convict. And we pray that they will can be convicted by the evidence they see in Scripture, the evidence they see in our lives about who Jesus is. And so what does this look like? What does it look like when someone is convicted of who God is? The Holy Spirit convicts people of their sin. 
It's not our job to beat them down, make them feel worse than, they, than, they ha- than we try to make them feel so bad. The Holy Spirit is going to convict people. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches the sermon on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. He's preaching to these people, telling them, be certain the Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Savior and Lord. And here's what it says, Acts 2, 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? There's going to be times in your life, or there, hopefully there's times if you're proclaiming the gospel where people will say, man, I feel that. Or have you ever had one of those times where you sat in a sermon and you're like, I thought the preacher was preaching to me. That is the Holy Spirit convicting you. You feel cut to the heart. See, any wall, any mask, any hiding that you put up, you can fool people. It's really easy to go through life and and act like you've got it all together, act like everything's going well. But when the Holy Spirit convicts you, it cuts straight to the heart. And when a lost person is convicted, they'll ask, what shall we do? And here's what Peter says to them, Acts 2, 38 through 39. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the, forgiveness, for, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Repent, believe, follow in obedience, be baptized, because through Jesus there is forgiveness of sins. Through Jesus there is reconciliation with God. And it should change your life. So we see Nathaniel answer and say, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. But he doesn't stop there. And Jesus kind of says, because I said this to you, you believe? You're going to see greater things than these. And that's what we have to believe. That's what we have to see is that we will still see greater things. When we have a relationship with God, we have to realize this is only the beginning Nathaniel was amazed by what he saw in that moment. He was amazed by, by Jesus' knowledge of him, by who Jesus revealed himself to be. But that was the only the beginning of Nathaniel's journey with Jesus. I want you to, to understand all the things that the, all the disciples saw in Jesus' ministry. They saw the lame walk, people that had been paralyzed their whole life. He says, pick up your mat and walk. And what do they do? They pick up their mat and they walk. He sees people who have never spoken speak. He sees people who have demons that have afflicted them have the demons cast out of them. He sees, they say, they see Jesus who is crucified be raised to life. They see him ascend into heaven. The very thing, he says, you'll see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. They see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They see the gospel spread into the world and now they stand in his presence for all of eternity. Greater things than, yeah, you were underneath a fig tree. I want you to think of the moment that, that you were convic- convicted and convinced of who Jesus is. Whatever it was that convinced you that Jesus is the Son of God and you should place your faith in him, you're going to see greater things than that in this life and the life to come. Now, I, I can a testified to that in my life, that, that when I was saved, I believed it. I was convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed to be saved. And since then, God has regularly showed me that there is greater things that he has, greater things that I'll see than that in my life. 
So we have to understand that our encounter with Christ is the beginning of a beautiful journey with Him. And we are now His servants that, able, that are able to participate in carrying out of His will. And when we walk with Jesus, we're going to see incredible things. There's a, a song that I came up, up, upon recently, and, and it's one of the things that I think really goes along with this, and it's been kind of my prayer. I've been listening to it a lot and, and praying it as I listen to it because I think it's very scriptural as we see here. It's called Like Honey by Hannah Hobbs. And the lyrics to the, the bridge and the chorus go like this. Oh, I will see the goodness of the Lord my God, and I believe that greater things are yet to come. I'll pray until I see it. I know I'm going to see it. Your words are like honey on my lips, like water to my soul. How sweet it is to walk within your ways. Poured out like a river, you restore and deliver. How sweet it is to walk within your ways. You are faithful again and again. When we seek after God, when we walk with Him, we will see what He does. God's not going to stop moving. We have to decide if we're going to be faithful in walking with Him where He's leading. We have to be faithful in carrying this out. So I want to challenge us, I want us to challenge ourselves in, as we approach Easter to take this seriously. The first thing I want to challenge you with is do you know Him? Do you know Jesus this morning? Do you have a relationship with him? Have you seen that he is the son of the living God? Have you repented of your sin? Have you trusted him for your salvation? Have you followed an obedience in baptism after you've made that decision? Have you, are you following him in your life? Are you faithfully following him if you do know him? Are you sharing your faith with others? Are you going and telling people, come and see this person. Come and see this Jesus who changed my life. And so my challenge as we approach Easter is this. We all know that Easter is one of the two, two times a year that people that don't go to church are more likely to go to church, right? There's the, the Christer Christians, Christmas and Easter. I've always experienced Easter is far bigger than Christmas in particular. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to invite people to come and see Jesus this Easter, because as we go through this, as we look at people who came and see who Jesus was as we lead up to Easter, on Easter Sunday, the message that we're going to talk about is going to be so focused on revealing who Jesus is, that He is the Son of God, and that people need to trust Him for their salvation. I want to challenge you. This is the easy one. Invite people. Invite people to come and see. Hey, I believe in I want you. Just, will you just come with me on Easter? Think about your friends, your family members, those people that you want to see in church, the person that you're one you're praying for. Would you just come to church with me on Easter? Just Easter. Will you do that for me? Then we can go and have a, a bunch of good food and just take a nap. Because that's what most people do. They go have those big family. What about all those people that go to your family? What if they come here with you? What if you challenge them? Maybe they don't live anywhere. Go to church this Easter. Will you go find a church to go? Maybe they live across the country. Will you please go to church this Easter for me? It would mean a lot to me. Challenge them to come and to see. People you don't know, will you come to church with me? And I'm not telling you to neglect working on sharing your faith, having gospel conversations, but I want us to challenge, I want to challenge all of us to, to work on asking people to come and see this Easter. And that we should pray that we'll see this as we go. We pray that we will see these things. We pray that God, we will see God move in our lives and in the lives of those around us as we challenge people to come and see who Jesus is. 
So this morning, as we have this time of invitation, what do you need to do in your life with Jesus? What is God calling you to do? Is it to place your faith in Him? Is it to make that faith public and to, to trust Him and in, in, in follow in obedience and baptism? Is it to participate in, in the church in a, in a more meaningful way? Is it to serve somewhere? Is it to join the church? Is it, what is God calling you in your life to do? What person, when I say you need to ask people to come to church, what person comes to your mind? Pray for that person. Pray for your willingness to go. And if no one comes to your mind, pray that God will reveal people to you so that as we go, we will be sure to see greater things as we follow him. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray that as we have this time of invitation, Lord, that this would be a time where you would move in our hearts. You would convict us in our lives of wherever we are, whether we need to trust you for the first time or whether we need to follow you faithfully, who we need to share with and how we need to share with them. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us that you will move in our hearts and you will challenge us to follow you faithfully as we go from here. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.